Good afternoon, everybody. How are you all doing today? Good. Well, it's quiet. What's up? <laughs> it's a nice day today. I got to say, it's a beautiful day. I woke up this morning, stepped out of the house a little earlier than usual. There was a nice, cool breeze, actually. And I took a moment to uh, just look out at nature, look at the blue skies above, and feel the wind blowing across my face. I'm just grateful and thankful to God for the opportunity that I had to be alive today. Every day that we live, it's a gift from God. And there's so much that we don't know what's going to happen in a day. But when you wake up, let's not take this opportunity to live life again for granted. Life is fragile. Do you all have your handouts for today? If you need a handout, just shoot your hand up in the air. And... Um, Someone will help you here. Also, we take up tithes and offerings at the end of our service. If you need an envelope for your giving, shoot your hand up as well, and uh, we can help you with that. God bless you in your giving. Our study today is entitled Potted and Planted. Potted and Planted. And I just want to show you a few pictures that I took this morning. Every morning I come to my kitchen. It's a little dark there. You see the sun coming right through the window there. That's our little indoor garden of potted plants. And what I love about these potted plants, you get to see each of them growing individually. And you get to, to tend to it and give it as much water as it needs for each particular plant. Some plants need more than others. I typically water my plants, most of them maybe every other day. But there are some plants that require watering every day. Okay, so this is our little indoor garden in the house and keeps getting overgrown you have to keep transplanting vines and things okay next one see that tall that tall bushy plant right there it's kind of hard to see when it's in real color it's beautiful it is gorgeous but see that big potted plant imagine a tall bush like this growing in your house you know normally you'll see tall trees outside but when you see the beauty of God's nature growing there in your very kitchen, wow. And it offers fresh air for us in the house as well, some oxygen. Next picture. Right there. You know banana, the banana tree? Yeah, so we had two of these banana trees. See that big one in the back? It's dying. It's dying already. But we've already harvested, what, three shoots from it? And it's got another three going right now. So it's like we have this little nursery of, um, of banana plants at home. And we like to be able to, to give some as gifts. And um, it's a beautiful thing to watch a plant grow. And from one plant, many more plants can come. And it's kind of like this gift that just keeps on giving. Okay. See, we have an empty pot right there. It's getting ready for the next shoots that are coming up. The next one. Out on the deck, even. You know, although it's outside, we still like to have potted plants. These are blueberry bushes. My son went out last night with his cousins, and they started to harvest a lot of the blue blueberries that were ready for eating, and boy, they tasted good. Now, these little shrubs, they've been on our deck for a while. And it's not until maybe last year and this year that we actually had some real yield for the fruit. And I used to wonder, what kind of bush is this? What kind of shrub is this? Because I had no idea. It just looked like sticks and leaves. And it wasn't until we saw the fruit coming out that we were able to identify very clearly, this is a blueberry shrub, okay? 
The plants are very well known by their, are made known by their fruit. Okay, let's continue. Now these plants here, they were not potted. This is my dad's garden. And um, he's like, it's a good thing it's not close up because you'll see all the, <laughs> you'll see all the weeds. It's a big garden, and uh, it's a beautiful garden with a variety of different colors of flowers that, that blossom at different times of the year. So no matter what month it is, there's always going to be a burst of color coming through amongst all this greenery because it was well-planned and well, when my father chose those specific plants and he placed them where he wanted them so that there would be beauty in his garden throughout the growing seasons. Okay. Got another view here. This is my father's garden in the front of the house. You notice it's a mix of both planted flowers and also um, some potted flowers. And you see how they work together. Even though they're potted, they're still part of the garden, right? But if we were to let some of these uh, arrangements just grow in the ground, they might not thrive as well as they do when they're in the pots, okay? Let's continue here, one more, couple more. So this is a beautiful one. See the potted plants there in the pergola? And beneath it, some, some planted impatience there as well. The front of the house doesn't get as much sun throughout the day. So you also have to pick specific plants that would grow in the shade that don't require as much sunlight. So it's important to know and understand your plant because where you position them and what purpose they serve, it wouldn't be fulfilled if you put it in the wrong place. A shady plant won't do well out in the full sun. And plants that need full sun won't do too well indoors where there isn't sun. Okay. And one more picture here. I just thought it was a beautiful snap. I like it because that's where our family likes to sit and take pictures. It looks pretty. <laughs> it makes our life look beautiful. It makes us forget about all the uh, loud noises that we have to endure throughout the day. There's something peaceful about a garden. Growing up, we used to go to a place called Edward's Garden. What a beautiful place. A lot of people like to go there for their wedding photos. So no matter when you go, if it's on a Saturday afternoon, you go to Edward's Gardens and you'll always see a bride walking around in her white dress, along with the birds following behind her. <laughs> but wow, what a beautiful thing to, to just be out in nature and appreciate the beauty of our creator, right? everything that God has created. The first section of our study is called Like Potted Plants in the Garden. Like Potted Plants in the Garden. And we're going to be looking, we won't be reading through it, but if you want to open your Bibles to Genesis 1, chapter 1, and Genesis chapter 2. We're going to be studying through this just a little bit. In Genesis 1, It tells us a story of creation. It has a creation story. And as we know, there were six days where God had created, and then on the seventh day, he rested. So during this first week of uh, this creation week, I thought it was beautiful to see how things were laid out. First of all, God created the spaces first, right? And the first thing that he did, he creates light. He says, let there be light, right? On the second day, he creates the, the waters. He pulls waters up from the, from the earth and pulls it up to expand to the sky and we have the atmosphere. So there's all this water up in the heavens and in the watery seas. 
On the third day, he separates the land from the water. He kind of stretches out the land and pulls it up so that there's a definite um, distinction between the land and the water. Notice what happens. So on those first three days, all these things are put in place. Everything that would be needed for the rest of existence here. On the fourth day, he hangs the sun, the moon, and the stars, the heavenly bodies, and fills that expanse up there. He gives the sun to rule over the day and the, the moon to rule over the night and all the stars that come out. The sea creatures on the fifth day creates the sea creatures and the birds. So you see, he fills the waters of the seas and he fills the sky with the birds and they correspond with day two then. On day six, he says, okay, you know what? I'm going to make some animals. You know, God's a creative God. And he, he makes animals from the dust of the ground. And he also decides, you know what? I'm going to make a man as well. Okay? So he makes man. And he says, I'm going to make man in my image. Right? He says, male and female, we're going to create them. And this is, uh, is going to be good. Now, every day after God created anything, he said, let there be light. There was light. And he saw that it was good. He said, okay, let the waters be stretched out. And you know what? He looked at all he had done on day two. He said, it is good, right? On day three, he also says, it is good. Everything that's going on there on the land, it's a beautiful landscape, and the water's there so that it wouldn't be overrun by the water. He put a barrier, a boundary for the waters so it wouldn't swallow up the land, right? And every time he created anything, he said, it was good. With each animal that he created, right? With each animal he created, he said, let it be fruitful, and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply, each to their own kind. All right? So monkeys make monkeys, right? Dogs make dogs. Humans make humans. Okay? So we didn't come from a monkey. Okay? Based on this creation story, that's what we're personally believing. God created us and each to their own kind. Okay? Be fruitful and multiply. What I thought was beautiful there at the end of Genesis 1. It was very specific in how it said, it didn't just say, God gave all the living creatures food. And I think we skip over this very quickly. It says, God gave all the plants that had grain for seeds, and all the trees whose fruits have seeds in them as food for all. What would happen if the fruits didn't have seed? can't multiply. There wouldn't be any more of that fruit. Where do we get our fruit from? We need the seeds. Okay? And right there, at the very first chapter in the Bible, it's talking about this multiplication. It's talking about this going forward. It's talking about what I created here, it's not meant just for now. It needs to continue on for generation to generation. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. And then he says to man, you will be master over all this and have dominion over everything that I have created. We were created in the, in, the, in the image of God. When we fast forward there to Genesis chapter 2, it kind of looks back a little bit. It says, now this is the account of creation. But it wanted to go into a little further detail as to what had happened. It said there, now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground. But... Streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. 
Let's continue. As we read a little further on in Genesis 2, verse 7, it says, The Lord, then the Lord God, formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden, where? In the east, in Eden, okay? And there he put the man he had formed. So there was a special place for this man, right? So God creates all this, and then it says that he created a garden, okay? And he put the man he had formed there. Remember what I was talking about earlier? When you're planting a garden, you want to make sure that all the things are purposed and placed properly in order for everything to thrive well. Okay, the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. After everything had been done, God said, okay, man that I created, I'm going to bring all the animals before you, and I want to see what you named them all, right? So, dog. Okay, good, dog. And it was good. And then it goes, here's the next one. Normal. <laughs> Cat. <laughs> And who knows what else came before him. And, and he's naming all these different creatures. And amongst all the creatures that God had created, he said, there was not one suitable helper. There was not one good companion for man. Remember, this was perfect paradise. Everything was set in place, everything you would ever need. It's important to note that uh, sin had not yet entered the world. Okay? Sin had not yet entered the world. Everything was perfect in this garden. But God still said, this is not good. It is not good for man to be alone. It is not good. Sometimes I think when we hear those words, not good, we're thinking, oh, that's bad. That's evil. That's of the devil. You know what I mean? We think of it in those terms. But imagine, sin had not yet entered. Beautiful paradise. Life with God. Animals are not going to war with you. Weeds are not going to choke out your food. Everything is prepared as beautiful. And God says, but this ain't good. I'm going to make a helper suitable for the man. So he puts the man down to a deep sleep, and he does a little, the first surgery takes place. He takes a bone out of the side of the man. And out of that bone, he constructs a woman. He constructs a partner. And when the man wakes up from his sleep, he looks at the woman and says, you will be called woman because you were taken from man. Keep these things in mind and try to find the parallels there as we continue on in this study. Just this beautiful story of creation. The Bible starts with Genesis and there's all this beautiful stuff. And the rest of the Bible talks about Jesus, and we don't realize it's talking about Jesus until Jesus actually comes, right? And everything until Revelation, and Revelation, you'll see the beautiful whole Bible just kind of come together as a beautiful story. I don't want you to miss out on this beautiful story. It was not good for man to be alone. God intended mankind to be in community. 
Have you heard that phrase, God created us with a vacuum-shaped, God-shaped vacuum in our heart? And nothing else could fill that hole in your heart except for God. So you're longing and longing for God. And yes, that's true. But I'd like to propose another thought here as well. That God also created us with a human-shaped, human-shaped vacuum in our heart. There's a void, there's a hole. That only can be filled when we are in healthy, loving community with other people. It's no wonder, mankind, whether you're a Christian or not, I know you know what it's like to feel lonely. I know what it, you know that it, what it's like to feel not connected with other people. All right? There is something that's built into us as human beings. We were made for community. So when we're not in community, Somehow we crave it. Nowadays, however, it's interesting to note that Netflix accounts have gone right up. All these different streaming things have gone right up. People don't need to communicate face-to-face anymore. We have text message. And we feel, wow, I'm in community with other people, but it's all on my terms. I'm in full control of it. If I don't want to talk to them, I don't have to reply. Right? If I want to ignore them, I can just block them. I don't want them to know that they read my message. And you have Netflix go up, and it's like, oh, I'm watching the show. And it feels like, wow, these are my friends. You're getting that sense of, um, you feel that you're getting a feeling of that human-shaped hole in your heart because you're watching other human beings, but that's not reality. You're not really connected with those people. I mean, you might feel connected with them, but they don't know you. How are you in community with somebody else? You are not in loving relationship. So once that TV show ends, and the series, you watch the entire series, and it comes to an end, oh, what am I going to do with myself? I can't just start another show. It was a good couple of weeks, friends. That was my show, Friends. Bones. I watch the shows and you get attached to the characters and you feel like you know them, but they're just TV characters, it's not the real deal. So we're feeding off junk food, we're not feeding off the real stuff, okay? Look what it says there in John chapter 13, verses 34 to 35. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So Jesus is giving this command to his followers, right? And all he's doing is pointing people back to the lost vision, the lost purpose that God had created man for. It's not good for man to be alone. Find a helper suitable for him and create him so that he's not alone. If love is not at the center of your relationships, you are not really joined with anybody else. No wonder you go to bed still feeling lonely. This doesn't only happen in the male-female husband-wife relationship. This happens in the church, you know? It's like we need to learn to love one another as God's church, as his followers. This is what God wants for his people so that we would not feel like we're out doing this life alone. We get to do life together. We get to journey together. Somebody to pep you up when you're feeling down, someone to pick you up, or maybe tame you when you're getting a little too excited. 
We're here to hold each other accountable. We're here to serve one another when we have needs. And if we see others with needs, will we go and we serve them? I mean, this is this is the heart of God for his people. This is what we were designed for. First Peter chapter 2, verses 2 to 3. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. How many of you have been a Christian for more than five years? How many of you have been a Christian for more than ten years? How many of you have called yourself a Christian for more than 15 years? Your whole life you called yourself a Christian, right? That's a long life there. <laughs> so, so we could call ourselves a Christian, right? But then we, we have to stop and ask ourselves, have we been growing and maturing as Christians? You know, or do we still feel like babies? We still feel like babies. We feel like we haven't learned our lessons. We feel like we haven't grown. We don't know as much as we'd, we'd like to. And, and maybe some of us, we've wanted the solid food, right? We've been craving solid food. But what the Bible tells us here is that we should be more like babies that crave what? Pure spiritual milk. I have a little daughter here. Not the one holding her. She's here in the corner. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, Talia, Talia is now four months old today. I'm praising God that she's growing beautifully. And you know, like the one holding her. <laughs> and my, my daughter, right now she is exclusively on milk, on her mom's milk, right? So she, she got pretty hefty. She got pretty big pretty quickly. At four months, she's feeling kind of heavy there. And she's growing and she's growing, and that spiritual milk, I mean, that physical milk is good for her. But she's not yet ready to take in solid food. She hasn't developed enough to be able to handle the solid food. Even when we introduce solid food to her, it will take a while for her to be able to start um, accepting it and letting her body process that and actually pull the nutrients that it needs from that solid food. So for now, spiritual milk will have, uh, physical milk will have to do. And for us as Christians, it's like that too. We need to keep craving, have a desire for spiritual milk. Because that spiritual milk, it could be there all the time, sitting in a bottle, waiting for you to take it. And God says, listen, I provide everything you need. And here's everything I want you to know for now. And I want you to feed on this. Have you heard that? Feeding on the word of God. But we're not taking the bottle. I'm like, I don't want that bottle. I feel like a big guy now. I want, I want to take in what I want to take in. And it's not good for us. No wonder we're not growing. Because we're not feeding on the spiritual milk. Sometimes we feel, but I've been a Christian my whole life. I'm ready for the meat. I'm ready for the solid food. But God says, no, no, you, you didn't even want the spiritual milk I was giving you. If I give you any more right now, I'm afraid it's not good for you. You might, you know, you might have aversions to what, what you 
testing. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 2. It's not there. Well, oh, there it is. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. I'm asking you today, do you feel like you're ready for solid food? Are you craving the spiritual milk? Or do you just keep showing up at the milk station? Every week, every Saturday. Hey, we're going to the milk station. I hear they have really good milk there. But when you come in, you want to order the, the milkshake. It's perverted, but it tastes better to you. It's mixed with other stuff instead of the pure spiritual milk of God. Right? What are you feeding on? Are you feeding on a perverted version of God's truth? Or are you seeking the pure truth of God? So just like a potted plant, right? A potted plant, when it's in the pot, there's no threat of weeds. It's easy to take care of. There's not much that's going to be attacking it. The, the potted plant is like a newborn baby. And it will be receiving all the nurture and all the love and all the care. And the focus is just on that one plant at a time. Until that plant learns how to be with other plants, it won't be let go into the larger community yet. So maybe God's still doing some work with you. Maybe you're not ready to be forgiving yet. So he says, you know what? Stay as a potted plant. Because I'm going to teach you how to forgive. I'm going to teach you how to have what it takes so you can thrive when you go out there, outside of the pond. The first time that we took the banana plant shoots, and we transplanted them, you know, I'm sure my dad just wanted to give them some air. Let them breathe, because they've been stuffing in the house, so you've got to let them breathe, right? So he brought it outside. However, the sun was so intense that the little baby banana plant started to go a withered already. And the leaves were a little, I'm not blaming you. Because <laughs> it wasn't me. <laughs> but when I saw it out there, I remember I went and I started pulling them back in. Because I said, you know what, this is too much for them to handle right now. Right? It needs to be acclimatized before it could go out. Right? So even when you move plants around in your house, you don't just move it from a dry room to a really moist room. Little by little, gradually, you allow it to experience what it's like to, to change its environment so it can start getting used to different things and handle different things. That's what growing up is like, isn't it? We get new experiences that we don't know how to handle yet. But once we live through it, we could be prepared for more and more. One day when those plants get big enough, they will outgrow their pot. You want it to see its full potential. You know, a lot of those plants in our garden, they weren't always in the garden. They started off in the nursery. They were cared for until they were strong enough to be planted out there in what I call the wilderness. Weeds in the wilderness. In the next section here. What is a weed? It's a noun. It's a valueless, undesirable, or troublesome plant, especially one that grows profusely where not wanted. How many of you like to pull weeds? It's very satisfying. 
And if you haven't tried it yet, I, I recommend it because you, you see this, uh, my sister-in-law, she's very good at pulling weeds. She's very meticulous. Here's the, here's the secret, though. When you're pulling up weeds, you got to be careful that you're not uprooting the healthy plants around them. Okay? Because when weeds start out, they can look very similar to the, the very plant that is growing alongside them. However, they grow usually at a much faster rate than the actual plant. So weeds could actually choke out the developing plant. Okay. Weeds. Let's look at what the Bible has to say about weeds. Matthew chapter 13, verse 22. The seed falling among the thorns, or weeds, refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. It's interesting. Look at those underlined words there. You know, was the was the word of God planted like a seed in your life at one point? And did you ever experience this? The worries of life, debt, stress, jobs, insecurity. You know, all these things you worry about, and it kind of saps your life energy, right? Maybe you're not even worrying about something too much, but there's the deceitfulness of wealth. You start chasing after things. You start chasing after wealth. That could choke out God's word. Elsewhere in the Bible, it tells us you can't serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. you got to either love God or love money, but it can't be both. There's not enough room in your heart for both. What are you loving today? The deceitfulness of wealth is enough to choke out the word of God in your life. My friends, I want to caution you. Because we're living in a time where when we feel, I come across some good money here. I better start making some sacrifices and give up all this stuff so that this money stays a sure thing. The deceitfulness, it's deceit. It's a lie that cannot fulfill. I'm not saying that God cannot use wealth with you. But you got to be loving God more than loving the wealth. You see, wealth in and of itself is not a bad thing. But the love of money, that's the root of all evil. So if I were to whip out 500 bucks right here in my hand, who wants it? <laughs> you want it if you love God more. Amen. <laughs> You've got to ask yourself that question. You know, do I really want more from the life in this world that the world is trying to offer me? Or do I want that more abundant life that God is telling us about? What do you desire?
deceit. That's a deceit. You don't see it. Right? And that's an interesting thing to bring up here. Because when you're putting your trust, you're putting your trust in the money, not trusting that God will provide what you need. I got a little story. When I got back from uh, Bible college and I uh, didn't have much going on, I had some debt, right? And um, I had learned to trust God. I had really learned how to trust God. And I was trusting Him with all situations in my life. Now, I'm not a highly educated man, okay? I, I took some college courses, you know. Um, I, I don't have a lot of potential to earn a lot of money. But when you get married and you have a debt, it's hard, you know? It's like there's a big debt you got to pay off, and you start to wonder, I need to make more money so I can pay this off. I need to make more money so I can pay this off. And I said, Lord, let me not fall into that trap. I'm going to keep trusting you. I'm going to keep trusting you. And you know what the Lord did? He made a way that my debt was completely wiped clean. Not because of anything I did. But I believe and I trust that it was God working on the hearts of a few people that worked to clear my debt. Those few people were my parents. God bless them. And you know what? If you know my parents, it's not like they have a lot of money hanging out of their pockets. It might look that way, but they, I've learned from my parents that trusting in God means really trusting in Him. And no matter if things seem like there's not enough, well, there's no way you can make it out of the hole. The Lord always provides. And he always has for our family. Because we've learned to trust him. I hope you too, my friends, can learn to trust him instead of giving in to the deceitfulness of life. I gotta ask you a question then. What are the weeds in your life today that are sapping your life? I mean, if there are any weeds that are present and it's starting to choke out God's truth in your life, that's causing you not to trust in God's word anymore. Many of you here sitting, you've heard the truth. You've heard the word. You sought it out for yourself. But can you trust it? Can you trust God? That he's faithful to his promises. What weeds are present in your life today? I love what it says here in Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, and I hope it comes as a word of encouragement to you as much as it has been to me. He replied, Because you have so little faith, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. If you feel like you have small faith, like the faith hasn't grown yet, Jesus says, you know, if you have faith, even as small as a mustard seed. And I always stopped and wondered, why mustard seed? He could have chosen any other seed to talk about. Do you know what the mustard plant is? Mustard plant is a weed. 
it grows out in the wild. The wild mustard plant is in abundance. We even have it here in Ontario. We usually grow up nice and tall, fan out, have a beautiful yellow-orange color. The mustard plant is a weed and it grows in abundance. The troubles that we face in life might seem like a big mountain. It might seem unshakable and you're unable to overcome it. It might tower over you and cast shadows of doubt over your life because you're standing on the wrong side of that mountain. And Jesus says, if you have faith, even as small as a mustard seed. Friends, we can combat trouble with faith. And people say, why faith? Faith is more powerful than your problems. My God is more powerful than anything the enemy tries to throw at me. Any of you that have been journeying with us in this community, you might have heard some of the stories that I've shared already. And believe me, there has been much in my simple, cushy, North American life. There has been enough trouble that the enemy has thrown my way. But my friends, our God is bigger, and he is greater, and he is able to do all things. Do you have that faith? As small as a mustard seed. Let it grow. Let it grow, and instead of letting the weeds of life choke you out, let your faith choke out all those troubles. You have no place in your life. Start cultivating your life like a garden. Get rid of those other weeds and find the beauty in what God is calling you to. You can combat trouble with faith. So once those little potted plants have been acclimatized and move out into the wilderness and they're making their home amongst these other plants, it, it should be strong enough to stay rooted somewhere, be planted somewhere, and that plant should start to thrive, even in the presence of weeds, yes? Rooted in Christ. What things do plants need in order for them to grow? They need light. They need water. They need soil, right? Let's look back at Genesis 1. What were the first three things that God created? Light, the waters, and soil. Everything that we would need to thrive, God already put in place before he allowed us to inhabit that place. Spiritually, let's look at what light is. Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. Your what? Your word. Okay. His truth. John 1, 9. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. Remember the, the word became flesh? Jesus was the word that became flesh. In that same chapter, it says that he was the light, the true light that was coming to this dark world. Okay? The word is a light. Yeah. And Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I love that. I love this passage for many reasons. As a child, I was deathly afraid 
of the dark. I think largely because I shared a room with my sister and my parents decided to put clowns, wallpaper, clown wallpaper, all over the bedroom, as though the wallpaper weren't enough. There was a big stuffed toy clown pinned up on the wall with a frozen expression on his face. And at night when the lights go out and all you're getting is a little bit of moonlight coming through the crack of the window, shining where? Right on that clown's face. Casting shadows, making the clown seem even bigger. I could not sleep. I would hide under my blanket and I would be upset with my little sister. You know why? Under her blanket, she had a toy called a glow worm. I had nothing but the dark, deathly afraid of the dark. And when I heard a passage like this, I am the light of the world, you don't need to live in darkness anymore. Wow, that does something because to me, darkness was fear. Darkness paralyzed me. And when I, when I read a passage like that where Jesus claims, I am the light of the world, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but always have light the light of life. Friends, do you want that light in your life? Aren't you tired of being afraid and walking on eggshells? I hate living from a place of fear. I love living from a place of faith. It's light there. It's bright. Look at what it says here in John. 1246. I have come into the world as light, so whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. So whoever believes in me, whoever believes in Jesus, see the only way that that light is going to make a difference in my life is when I believe in Jesus. Because he's the light that came to this dark world. He is the one that brings understanding of the secret things of God. His word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. He guides me. He shows me what's around me. He shows me where I need to go. Do you believe in him? Jesus says to his followers, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. When people look at your life, do they see the light of God's kingdom? Or do they still see a dim, dark, doubtful promise? You are the light of the world. Let God shine through your life. Stay rooted in Christ. Second thing that we need is water. John 4, verse 14. But whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Remember there in Genesis 2, he was talking, nothing, no trees and shrubs were coming up yet, but the waters from the earth swelled up and then life came forth. 
right? The same way when we drink the living waters that Jesus gives us, it swells up like a spring of water bringing us to eternal life. And eternal life doesn't start when you die. Eternal life starts when you believe because you're born again into new life. I see. John 7, 38. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Isn't that beautiful? Again, whoever believes in me, whoever believes in me. You know, there are many people, I'm sure you know as well, that have battled through cancer. And cancer, for it, it's a difficult thing. It's like you're walking around living with a death sentence. And there's one thing that we encourage cancer patients to have. Hope. Hope. In essence, we're asking them to believe that there's hope. Believe that they could rise above that situation that they're stuck in. And even if they're not completely healed, you know what? Sometimes it gives them more time. It gives them more time. It almost seems cruel, right? Well, why give them more time if they're just not going to make it anyway? Because with that little amount of time that they have left, they could learn how to believe. They could learn how to have hope. They could be hearing a promise for the first time. And it gives them something to cling to. Friends, sin is a cancer to our soul. And when we're living with sin and stuck in sin, it is a death sentence. For the wages of sin is death. If it weren't for Jesus to come and pull the weeds of sin away, we would have no chance of thriving and rising up to eternal life. Only by the work of Jesus. When we believe in Jesus, he washes us, he cleanses us, and out of the hearts of those that believe him, what? Will flow rivers of living water. Rivers of living water. That's not just meant for you. It's out of your heart that other people can also come to be saved, can drink of the water, can know Jesus too. You weren't saved just for your own sake. You were saved for a very special reason. Remember the, the command that God gave was go, be fruitful, and multiply. It doesn't end with you. Don't take the seed and be like a GMO Christian with no seed in you, okay? It's got to continue forth. It's got to go forth, you see. Male and female, he created them. Because only when it's male and female can life continue, you see. It wasn't about marriage. It was about God's will and his purpose to keep going forward. What did Jesus say to his disciples before he left? Go and make disciples. 
of all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Are you making disciples? Are springs of living water flowing from your heart? Maybe we're still in our potted plant. And that's why we can't affect anybody else yet. Because God's still working on us as baby Christians. So friends, today, if that's you, I encourage you, desire, crave the spiritual milk first. Allow God to grow you and mature you today. I don't want you stuck in a pot. I want you to be out here enjoying being in the garden. Matthew 18, 20. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. Where two or three are gathered. Remember, we were meant for community. Those springs of water that are flowing. If you go back to Genesis chapter 2, you're going to read a very beautiful description before he's talking about Adam being made, before he's talking about the animals being named. There's a whole section there that talks about the rivers that are flowing from this one river throughout the garden. And it's a beautiful picture that you're going to get. Four rivers just flowing out and, and feeding the land around it. Springs of living water. The two or three are gathered in my name. There I am with them. See, God wants us to be in community, and not just for community's sake. He doesn't say, oh, just meet a few friends so you can hang out and you could play games. You could hang out and have someone to go to Tim Hortons with, you know, or so you have someone you could ride the bus with. It's not just for community's sake. He says, for where two or three are gathered, in my name, for his purposes, why we're coming together, it's because of Jesus. We have a beautiful access group meeting for almost, what, three and a half, four years? And our access group, even though we don't get to see each other all the time, or not everybody shows up to our gathering, if two or three of us are there, it doesn't matter. We're going on. We're going to have access together because we're meeting in Jesus' name. It's not about us. It's about what God wants. And we're meeting up with him for his kingdom purposes. Don't give up on feeding each other and bringing life-giving water to one another's life when you gather in the name of Jesus. And the last thing that we need is Soil, but this sort of soil, remember, soil is the thing that the plant is rooted in, right? And what we're studying about here is about being rooted in Christ. And there's one passage here, John 15, verse 4. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. To be rooted in Christ, it's to remain in the vine. It's to remain in him, and then fruit starts to be developed and brought forth in your life. You're the branch. The branch cannot produce fruit on its own. It relies on everything that the vine has to feed it, has to nourish it. If there's a kink in that communication of that branch with the rest of the vine, 
then you're not receiving the things that the vine wants to pour out over your life. Is there a kink in your life with God that's not allowing you to receive his truth and make a life-changing difference in your life? Why is there no fruit in my life? I thought that there would be more fruit because I've been studying so much. I've been doing this and doing that. God is more concerned with how you're being. And he says, are you being still and remaining in me and letting me work through you? Because it's my fruit that's going to be shown, not your effort. It's my fruit that's going to be shown. You won't be praised. It's going to be me. Sometimes we feel like we have to prove to other people that we're good Christians. Apart from Jesus, you can't be a good Christian. You're not even a Christian. Or you're like a dead branch hanging onto the vine. But guess what? Along comes the gardener walking the vineyard. And when he sees the dead branches, he's got to clean them up. He's got to toss them away and give more life so more fruit, more branches could develop. Fertilizer, the manure that you're talking about, that gets thrown on there. You know, that's great. Thanks for that. Really, it's um, that helps us grow. You know, we don't always like what's being thrown our way. We don't always like hearing the truth sometimes because God's still shaping the character. You see, He's still sanctifying us. He's still taking us from what ugliness was, and He wants to purify us and make us good, right? So he sanctifies us and he's taking all that stuff away from you. We don't always like God's truth sometimes because it's too real. But it's good for you. The Lord knows the heart of every person that might have once walked with him and has fallen away. The Lord knows them better than we do, and I would I would not be comfortable enough to say yes, hang out with them, or no, don't hang out with them, because really it's one where we need to just remain connected to God and hear what God has to say in that situation. Um, sometimes we have good intentions. We want to be able to go and, and help somebody we feel has fallen away. I've been in that situation many times um, with a lot of pastor friends of mine. 
And it's, it's hard to see because your heart breaks when you see somebody that loves God so much one minute, seemingly so, and then the next minute, you can have nothing to do with them. And um, with one of my pastor friends, I remember, I, I had to ask him once, I'm like, listen, but did you actually, I know you felt it was a calling to always be a pastor, but I got to ask you, did you ever choose Jesus? And he sat on that for a little while. And he came back to me two weeks later, and he's like, yeah, Tim, you know what? I don't think I ever did choose Jesus. He just felt like being a pastor was a career calling for him. And I'm like, there are so many pastors that do that. They think, I don't know what else to be, so I'm going to be a pastor. You know, and they take the course, but they never chose Jesus. So there are many people parading around calling themselves Christian. They, they call themselves a Christian by name, but they're a dead branch hanging on to the vine. And in God's wisdom, he will cut off where he needs to cut off. And once he's done that, that's not up to us. But if God says, go and minister to that one, then we have to go. If he holds back and we have to seek him in prayer and fasting sometimes, if we're not clear, that's what I would tell you. If you're not clear about ministering to that person from God, don't do it. Hold back. Sometimes we could get in the way of the work that God wants to do. Just because we love someone doesn't mean, oh yeah, I'm going to minister to the minister. You could be turning them off to God a whole lot more because God knows they're not ready to hear what you have to share with them. They're not craving that pure spiritual milk from a waste of time. And the only thing I could also say from the Bible is when Jesus said, go and share this news. And when you go into the town, if they reject it, then dust the dirt from your feet and move on. Take the peace back with you and move on. Carry that message to those others that need to hear. Rooted in Christ, we could do that because he makes that possible for us to do. Remain in me as I also remain in you. You cannot bear fruit unless you remain in me. The last section is called Planted in the Garden. You can read along on your sidebar as well. We're reading from the New Century Version, Isaiah chapter 58, verses 9b to 11. If you stop making trouble for others, if you stop using cruel words and pointing your fingers at others, if you feed those who are hungry and take care of those of the needs of those who are troubled, then your light will shine in darkness and you will be bright like sunshine at noon. The Lord will always lead you. He will satisfy your needs in dry land and give strength to your bones. You'll be like a garden that has much water, like a spring that never runs dry. You know, ancient people would often compare man to a garden. And wisdom and things that are related to wisdom were compared to rivers. See, when you believe in Jesus, his spirit reveals his truth to you. And that water starts to flow out of your life. That water starts to flow through your heart as you engage others around you. That's his wisdom. The light and the water together, that's his wisdom. It's coming to you. And you're not speaking from your knowledge of God, your head knowledge of God, but your relational, wise knowledge of God. Your light will shine in darkness. You will be like a garden that has much water, 
like a spring that never runs dry. I don't want to feel dry. I don't know about you, but I like staying hydrated. You notice when I'm up here, I'm always squirting that bottle in my mouth. Sometimes when we do things in our own effort, you start to dry up, you start to burn out, you start to feel like there's nothing left. Don't rely on what you have. Rely on what God has given you. And he will never let you run dry. You will never burn out when you're working in accordance with his will. Okay? People ask me, Tim, how do you do it? I said, how do you I do what? He said, well, you're doing this with your clinic. You're doing this with all your kids, and there are a lot of them. And you're doing this with the ministry, and you're part of that church, and you're doing all this and that. How do you do it? I said, how do I do what? And really, it's just by God's grace, i got to say. God gives you what you need to carry out the things that he's calling you to do. And anything he's not calling you to do, if that is zapping your life and, and cramping your, those are like weeds in your life. And let God cut those weeds away from you so that you could trust him and obey him and do everything that he's calling you to do. How do I do it? I don't. God does. Look at Revelation 22, verses 1 to 5. Then the angel showed me the river of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servant will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more nights. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. It's beautiful, man. Now this book, this, this chapter comes to the very end of the Bible. He started in the garden, Genesis 1 and 2, and it's talking about this beautiful place, this perfect paradise where man could be with God. There, were, there was a tree of life right in the center of the garden. And John, in his vision, this is what was given to him in Revelation 22. Again, the tree of life. We're being given a picture of the sanctuary where God is seated on his throne. And from the throne flow the waters, the river of life. And the tree of life on both sides of that river and no matter the season, there would always be fruit that's growing. It's forever beautiful, forever provided. Everything that you need is perfect there in this place, my friends. What this is a picture of here in Revelation 22, it's a picture not just of a garden, not just of a, a sanctuary. It's a picture of God himself. All that you ever need. God is life, and he brings life. And anything that you ever need would be found there in that perfect place in God. He provides your every need. He promises light that you would never walk in darkness. There is nothing else that you'll need. The curse will be broken. Friends, we can once again be with God. It's my prayer for you, for all of us here today, that we remain rooted in Christ, that we would find ourselves planted 
in the garden of God, that we could live forever a life of eternal life with him. My friends, I want to see you there. Peace be with you. Let's worship God. Let's all stand. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord God, for the study that you've given us today. I pray, dear God, that your spirit would continue to work on the hearts of everybody that's heard your word today. Allow them to determine where they are, Lord God. Show them what you want for their life. Show them where you want to lead them, Lord God. I just pray, Lord, that we could all remain faithful to you trusting that you are faithful to us. And we thank you, Lord God, because you, you never leave us alone. I pray for your church, Lord God, that we could love one another better, that we could follow your command. Lord God, take our lives, shape us and mold us to be the people you're calling us to be for your kingdom purposes, Lord God, so that you would be forever glorified.
Beside you, a hug, a handshake, a high five. Greet one another in love. 